This is Brandon O'Brien from Redeemer City to City. We're talking this week with staff and friends of City to City in the U.S. and around the world as we all try to figure out together how to respond wisely and faithfully to the global COVID-19 pandemic. As of March 15th, churches around the world were advised against or legally prohibited from meeting in person. So one question everybody was asking around the world was, how can we be the church if we can't gather together in person on the weekend? This week, people are asking even more questions as it becomes clear that many of these restrictions against gathering might last several weeks or even longer. In this episode, I'm talking to Danae Pierre, co-director of City to City North America and part of the leadership team of the Surge Network in Phoenix. She talks to us about how to care for members, especially vulnerable ones, and how to continue on our mission to be salt and light in our communities when physical proximity is difficult. Thanks for listening. Uh, hi, I'm Brandon O'Brien, and I'm here with my friend Danae Pierre, who is co-director of City to City North America and part of the leadership team for the Surge Network in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I wanted to talk with Danae uh, about what's happening in Phoenix on the ground that uh, we might want to know about and pray about, and how churches in that city and uh, elsewhere are responding to the uh, coronavirus challenges um, and all the many ways that people are experiencing them, from not being able to meet uh, for weekend services to what this means for loving our neighbor and engaging in mission um, and parenting and, you know, whatever else uh, challenges there may be. And um, so, uh, thank you for the time today. Uh, it's good to talk with you. Yeah, great to talk with you. So in New York City in the last 48 hours, the uh, city has shut down all theaters, all movie theaters, all comedy clubs, Broadway, most of the big museums, if not all of them, are now closed. And now all of the uh, clubs, pubs, restaurants, etc., are closed to dine-in um, you know, customers. And so people can order out. I actually heard, maybe this is only happening in New York City, but clubs can actually deliver um, cocktails. So that's, oh, wow. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. Wow. Um, so it's hard to imagine how long, I'm just picturing that on a delivery bicycle. <laughs> I don't know how well that goes, but, um, but that's a really big, you know, in some parts of the country, maybe closing restaurants and theaters would not be a huge blow to the local economy, but that's a pretty, unbelievable move for New York City. That's yeah. a lot of what the city runs on is the nightlife and and the theater and all that kind of stuff. And so that's a kind of a uniquely New York City impact uh, in addition to closing schools. It's like a, a little over a million kids in public school. They're all home now. And um, I'm curious what, uh, what things are happening in Phoenix that uh, maybe are especially impacting Phoenix in a, in a unique way. Yeah, you know, um... I mean, some of the things, some things similar in terms of, I mean, all our schools shut down, which is probably the biggest debilitator in terms of people getting, to, you know, people who are, whose work still is open. Um, but, you know, most of our restaurants have moved to take out similarly. Um, a lot of businesses are closed. So, you know, I think as Arizona is on the early end, we only, we don't have that many outbreaks right now, but watching what's happening globally and in the rest of the nation, I think jumped on it quickly to try to contain or slow the spread. 
Um, so yeah, I can't think of it, anything specific. I know, you know, we are a very tourist friendly city. So I have all kinds of friends who, you know, a huge part of how they pay their mortgage is by having an Airbnb in their backyard or one of their rooms. And so that kind of got cut off overnight. Hmm. Um, we've had a lot of, um, yeah, trips and events, all, you know, we, we, especially this time of year is, is our highest tourist, you know, beautiful weather. Um, a lot of those things have been canceled. Um, and then, you know, we also have a high immigrant population. And so I was meeting with a pastor, a couple of our immigrant pastors yesterday who were just sharing how quickly already a huge chunk of their church members, uh, lost work over the weekend. So a lot of it is, you know, weekly work, um, you know, uh, trades, plumbing, tile, um, painting, and everything's just kind of come to an halt, a halt, uh, at the end of last week. So yeah, we're just, we're in the early end of beginning to see the effects of all of that, but it seems like a big chunk of our churches are pretty quickly affected by the closures. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've, you've hit on something that's really important. I think that we're at the beginning of a lot of things. The predictions are like our kids in New York are out for the next uh, month. So they're scheduled to go back April after Easter, after our scheduled spring break. Um, but then of course the, you know, they mentioned it could be longer. And so we're trying to figure out what that means. Right. Um, and so the effects, you know, we're at the very beginning of things and trying to figure out what might happen and how we might respond. We won't have real clarity for a while. Um, and so there, this will be a learning process, I think for, yes, for a while, but absolutely, it, as it relates to, um, kind of local church leadership, the kind of first stage in all of this this past week was a lot of people scrambling to figure out how to um, respond to restrictions on big group meetings. So a yeah. lot of people moved their services online or did various things. Um, and that was kind of like job one, all of a sudden, what do we do if we can't meet in person? Um, I'm curious what you saw that you felt like worked or that, that you felt like was a good solution in response to that, um, that need quickly to get, kind of figure out what to do with weekend services? Yeah, um, you know, I think in, in some ways, it, even watching it unfold, it was, you know, it's a one-time weekend to kind of figure out last minute, what are people gonna do um, with such a short time to make decisions? Hmm. But it felt really clear that, that whatever we did this past weekend wasn't gonna be an ultimate long-term plan for moving forward. So I think, you know, there, there's, there's quite a few things I noticed in terms of, you know, I don't, I don't want to minimize in any way the Sunday morning gathering. I had a, I heard a pastor uh, this morning kind of lament just how much he missed getting opportunities to pray with people after service. Um, And, you know, the, the reality is the time to gather as God's people weekly is really important. It's, it's important um, no matter the size of your church. And there's a lot of really important pastoral implications for moving virtual. Mm-hmm. So I would say there was a lot, you know, I noticed a lot of um, rapid excitement to move into the, the virtual space, uh, obviously out of necessity. And there's, there's um, you know, things that worked, live stream, video stream. We saw lots of churches that are really well resourced, open up their space to pre-record or live stream for smaller churches. Oh, wow. uh, so that was really encouraging to watch. Um, and moving forward, that's continuing to happen in our city where several of our large churches with pretty substantial video resources are making it available all week for other churches to come in and use to prepare for their Sunday service. So um, yeah, so that's been really encouraging. But I would say probably the three 
categories I as I noticed last week as we were trying to make these decisions throughout our churches was kind of one Sunday morning what logistically how are we going to how are we going to give people um, a worship a worship service and prepare them for the week to come so there was kind of that, that the logistics of that then there was the realities of you know, how do we care well for our vulnerable church members? So the ones who are most, the whole reason we're not doing these services is to really protect the elderly and the vulnerable. And as we know, those with you know, compromised immune systems, and as we know, you know, the elderly are not necessarily going to have the easiest time accessing live streams or Facebook lives. So, you know, there's definitely that implication, just how do we care well for our members you know, teachers, um, medical professionals, and hourly wage workers who quickly lost uh, income, you know, either lost income or are now inundated with um, so much need to meet. Um, so, so those were the, the kind of, and then the third bucket would be love your neighbor. Like, how are we then in the midst of all this, not just thinking about getting a service or a sermon piped out to our church members, um, but, but our neighbors have needs and, and we really want to be present and aware and thinking of how we can move towards uh, our community in a time where we have to also, as part of how we love our neighbors, we need to be staying put. So how do we, how do we really equip people to think through missional living in a way where we're not being careless and exposing people to sickness? but also not just hold up in our houses thinking about our, our own survival for the weeks yeah. to come. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really interested in talking with you about that because I know um, from, I mean, I know from conversations with you before and from being familiar with your work in Phoenix, that the, the sort of outward looking missional impulse is a very, it's very important to you. It's, it's key to you, your understanding of what the church is. So it's not just something that the church does, you know, in addition to programming, but like if we're not, loving our neighbors, serving our communities, reaching people um, who are at the margins or at risk or whatever, then we're really not being the church, right, in a true right, way. Right. So, so I, I am curious what that looks like right now. Um, I'm curious both, you know, intellectually just to hear what people have to say, but also as we're here in our apartment with, uh, you know, we have a floor full of neighbors and are wondering and praying about how do we be present to them without putting them at risk or, you know, how do we right. know that we're at risk or, you know, <laughs> does this constitute right. as the less than 10 people and so it's no big deal or, you know, how, how do we maybe understand how to think about mission right now when part of loving them is keeping a distance, but that they also maybe need some direct interventions that we can offer. Uh, how are you right. thinking about that? Yeah, that's a good question because I think in some ways that's part of what I was, you know, I was pretty unconcerned about about figuring out Sunday morning because that's what that's what our church knows, our, the church in America knows how to do really really well, and we'll 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 prioritize figuring that out as best they can. Um, but it probably at this point needs our, you know, if there's it is important, but it's probably number number three on the list of what I think is important. I think number one is caring for your members in need and number two is love of neighbor and number three is or you know how do we do you know how do we do this gather how do we equip people well through the worship service so i think maybe our our leadership muscles might be a little bit flipped where we're mm. primarily thinking about our sunday service then maybe each other and our neighbors so all important i just would want to flip the script on the priority and the energy and the attention 
Yeah. You know, I think there's a couple things that that are that are just really important. One is just really having clear, consistent, and good information. So, you know, one of the downsides of churches pushing to these virtual spaces is the tendency to feel the need to now master Facebook and Twitter and Instagram so that people tune in and that we're we don't lose people or lose momentum. And I would just say our goal right now is to help our most mature disciples and members care for one another and for their neighbors. And so we might lose some momentum in our attendance and our budgets. And, and that's, that's in this season, at this moment, that's not our primary concern. Um, it is a concern, but not our primary one. And so how do we, you know, do this effectively? I think we need to have actually be encouraging our members to move away from social media. And so then we need to think through creatively, like how, you know, I was talking to our pastors this morning, like how can we get our church members um, to move to a different platform as soon as possible so we can still use social media to promote, you know, the things that we're trying to equip our church to do, but we don't want our churches to have to be dependent on that to get access to connection, resources, prayer, you know, Zoom rooms or whatever it is that we're doing because it's a really anxious time and social media is the last thing we want our church, our church members mm. to be to be like scrolling through. So we don't need to participate or play into that. Um, or we need to be creative in how we can provide alternatives. Right. Um, so things like that, you know, I have um, one of a, I saw someone at one of our churches post, a pastor's wife post a card, a three by five card she made for her neighbors saying, hey, we're healthy. We have, we are a young family. Um, we're pretty, uh, you know, we're in, we're in a, if you have any needs, here's our number, text message us. We know everyone's worried. We'll use hand sanitizer, we'll leave groceries at your door. Um, please let us know. And she handed out 75 cards and all but three neighbors responded. To oh, her. Wow. And so, and these are people she'd never really even met. So things like that, I think are really great ideas to just give people like, you know, here's, Let's, 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 let's rely on the doctors and medical professionals in our church community. This is a great time to lean into their vocation. So um, we had two church members who are, um, you know, doctors and emergency room doctors and, um, you know, one in public health. And so we really pulled them in for a lot of the decisions that we're making and guidelines we're giving. And, at, you know, our, our pastors are not public health experts. Um, and so it's really a wise time for pastors and church planters to be leading into the members of their body who are and make and give good clear information that helps us then serve our neighbors well yeah that's a great i that is all very helpful and i think a couple of things that um struck me in what you said is um i i think for for me personally uh living in manhattan is expensive and so like a week ago i was found myself preoccupied with the sort of narrow margin that we operate on here financially right. and time-wise and all that kind of stuff. And then immediately when I had to work from home and my kids were um, out of school, I was immediately aware of how, like suddenly went from feeling kind of tight on a margin to extraordinarily blessed that my right. income doesn't depend on logging a certain number of hours in a certain place and that we can both be home with our kids and that doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't set us back or, or right. danger our future or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, um, yeah, I, but what I am responding to is the, the sort of statement on the card of like, whatever needs you have, we can respond to that. And I think I, I, I love the uh, faith that that expresses because I think yeah. our first instinct often is to say, oh my gosh, how do I personally manage totally. in this new reality? 
um, and putting ourselves out there that way for neighbors is, um, yeah, is a really huge thing. So, well, and such a core American value that I think is embedded in the Christian church is this idea of really saving and part of being a responsible Western person as you save, right. For a rainy day. And so even already I'm hearing, you know, just, just, I think pastors and churches be honest and wrestle with our budgets or we all know our budgets are going to be impacted where they were impacted this past Sunday. That's that's not changing anytime soon. And so our instinct is to then start saving and hoarding. And we're just, that's not, we, we, we face very little crisis in our life, um, like communal crisis. And we're in a time where part of loving that there was a time that the church sold what they had to help those who had need. And that's where we, um, that's what the coming weeks at least need to look like because right. whether, you know, whether some of us have, you know, lose income or are laid off, like you said, we're very privileged at this point to be able to recalibrate and work from home long-term what happens, you know, saving for a couple of weeks in exchange for buying a neighbor, a bag of rice and toilet paper, um, you know, it's really we have to kind of think through how do we really faithfully live out the gospel in this time and in this moment. That's right. Yeah. And with, with the knowledge that we've already articulated that we don't have any idea, you know, the timeline on which things return to normal or what normal is, or, you know, it, Etc. So they're correct, you know, to be able to say, well, I can manage this for the next however many days and then I can and b- then be generous or something like I mean, there's a lot of calculus that a lot of us do because we have been discipled as good Americans, right? To kind of run the run the numbers. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really helpful story. And I appreciate that. Um, the uh, I know you guys are also involved in uh, at Surge with um, you know, systemic engagement with systemic issues in the city, like foster care and adoption and um, working with, uh, you know, it's a, um, you mentioned uh, immigrant workers, migrant workers, this kinds of populations. Um, it, it feels like one reaching out to my neighbor feels manageable because they're across the hall and that's sort of inter, interpersonal outreach. But how are you guys thinking about things like systemic um, more citywide issues at a time like this that's not just a matter of reaching out to your neighbor, your physical neighbor. Yeah, well, yeah, Surge, you know, it's really, a, a, you know, most simply a network a fellowship of churches that really want to live on mission in our city together. So, but we have these really substantial leaders who have just been in the trenches with us for a decade. Um, Arizona 127 doing foster care and adoption and, and birth family work, um, refugee work, um, work with asylum seekers and immigrants. So each of those buckets, homelessness, um, each of those buckets of kind of a need in the city is represented by some key leaders who um, have a network within that kind of nonprofit sector. Um, and they're led by Christians and networks well beyond just churches and Christians, but those key leaders have really been a huge part of the surge network and our churches um, have just had this great collaboration and partnership for the past 10 years. And so because of just the friendship and the trust and a shared DNA, a lot of us have kind of used a lot of the same language that we use with surge around gospel centrality and missional church. Um, And so, so we've been able to, you know, I, I wouldn't say Surge has had like a successful, you know, history of long-term 
moving the needle on things that require um, consistent engagement. That's been these different ministry partners, whether it's refugees or foster care or whatnot. What Surge has been really effective at is when there's crisis and need to mobilize a lot of people through our churches quickly, is we're able to do that really, really well. And because these, you know, these ministry partners have been in collaboration together with us for so long, their work of how they train foster parents or how they train people to partner with refugees or how they're training people to engage in public schools. It's so similar to how we're wanting to disciple our people to love our neighbors that it's just been this kind of ecosystem in Phoenix of the church partnering together, working together, um, all in our different spaces, but then we can come together um, when there's a really acute need. And so we've had that happen a few times and nothing to this scale. Um, so I, I, I can give some, so kind of for at this moment, there's quite a few things we're trying to figure out, but we're using the same model for mobilization that we've used in the past. And then we're, we're really looking at, you know, public schools are, are, are letting our networks know right now the need for feed, their most vulnerable families and food. Yeah. And we'll rapidly connect them to churches to wrap around and support um, foster care, kinship families, instant need um, are, yeah, we're just already hearing stories from the ER of child abuse cases seeming to tick up and just, you know, there's so much need there. Um, our, our meeting with a couple of our immigrant pastors yesterday was around how are we going to, you know, so many of their church members don't qualify for public assistance or government programs. How are we going to, you know, you know, they have families who need diapers and rice and bread and, you know, they've just lost instant income, you know, and they were already right. low income. So, so that, so there's, we have a pretty organized system in place to help, uh, to, to, to um, gather the needs and, and to get the word out there. And so this is the biggest thing we've ever encountered, um, but we have kind of this process that will follow that we've done in other situations. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a minute because you shared on uh, social media this morning um, a document that you've been working on with this network of, of pastors and nonprofits and others in your area, and it's broadened out now, so I'm seeing some resources in that document from um, Hope NYC uh, here in New York and some other things, sort of, so it's, it's, it's growing as a great resource for helping people get a sense of where they can uh, participate in this network, right? Or how they can yeah. um, kind of connect to connect people with need to people with means uh, and that sort of thing. Um, you said that this, so you were able to put that together, at least from my perspective, it seemed pretty quick uh, between the time the, that the situation across the country became pretty similar, right? So, yeah. it, you know, all of a sudden there's a lot of restrictions everywhere and you guys pulled this together pretty fast. And I, you mentioned that these relationships have developed over about a decade. Um, can you tell me kind of how that developed? Because I can imagine that the being able to move quickly here is the result of those kinds of long-term investment and relationships. You can't just whip that together at the last second. Um, yeah. So yeah, just tell me a little about how it how it came together and um, and and I'm curious if it will spark. I think it will spark um, the imagination for people in other cities that want to participate in something like this where they are. Yeah, I think it, it's twofold. So one of the reasons we started, so we started early yesterday morning putting together what, what communication do we want to send to our surge pastors and churches. And some of it was even just towards the end of last week, so many of our pastors were talking with each other and kind of leaning in to see 
okay, how is, you know, this church, Redemption Church, it's a, it's a larger church in our city. How are they going to, what are they going to do Sunday? And, you know, there's lots of trust and respect and we're going to probably follow their lead or what are these congregations doing and how did they make that decision? So as we saw Friday, Thursday, Friday, text message, kind of group text messages begin going, um, realizing, okay, we're really, we're really making a lot of these decisions together and so much energy, you know, pastors are incredible at gathering, at researching and gathering information, right? That's, that's a big part of what they have to do to pull together a Sunday sermon, or they're providing a lot of thought leadership. And so just praying over the weekend, it was like, okay, that needs to happen. But if all of us are reading a thousand articles, the same thousand articles, that's a lot of man hours wasted, each of us doing our own research individually. So how do we kind of convene the best of the best staff out there, get it in one place so that one pastors of smaller churches, you know, can quit, you know, or, or I mean, really anyone can quickly access things that some of our, our churches with large staffs or big communication teams are putting together. Um, how do we just, you know, get this as easily as possible into one space so people can begin thinking about how they can, you know, be encouraging their parents and, you know, children's ministry, and youth ministry, and, you know, home church, like love your neighbor stuff. So that was the first half of it was, I want to try to do our best as a surge team to make it as easy as possible for pastors and churches to cut through the noise and get what they need. And then more importantly, share what they have. So if there is, you know, three churches in our city developing the best stuff on children's ministry, I don't want 3,000 churches that have to go Google search stuff, yeah. but we can at least see it. And then, you know, it sparks ideas, make it our own. So that was part of it is just to create a platform to share and receive. Um, and I think that will be really helpful. But of course, that is for the primary objective of getting us moving toward loving our neighbors and caring for the vulnerable in our church and in our communities. And so I, you know, as the sooner we can move, um, you know, into that we can, the, the more energy we can save to do that and spend there, the more relational capacity that we have um, to then really be present in a, in a very unique season, one I've never experienced in my life. And I, yeah. I hope we don't have many more of these to come, you know, so, so that's where then the second half of the list, you know, that, that we created was, so, you know, some of it was just like general resources for pastors, children's ministry resources, spiritual, uh, spiritual and emotional health is a big one. Like we really want to encourage our church members to be um, using this time well to connect with God and themselves and one another. Um, and then, the, and then, and that's kind of pretty general, I think, to the American co context. And then the last half is really specific to Arizona, where we just really quickly went, okay, you know, Tracy Beal with School Connect, she's like a national known expert. She's been doing this stuff in Phoenix, like get her on the phone, um, get her, you know, Katie O'Dell, foster care, like just kind of getting the best of the best of, of each person, um, Mary Keck with Refugee Connections, and, and then our churches who really have a, a long history of experience with these kind of things. Let's pull together. That started around 6 a.m. on Monday, and by noon, we had an incredible list started and and I think really strategic things on, on there that can help people who feel burdened to, to, to serve in a particular way um, and then as those different ministries have have needs that the government comes to them with or or their own population that they've been serving that surfaces they're going to have a very quick way of telling um, this whole community of churches and, and church members 
That's fantastic. We're going to try to make that list um, or that document in some form available um, for folks so that hopefully we, we're kind of developing out the top half, the, the yeah. North America, more generic, uh, universal kind of section. And then I think people could then in within their own city networks, uh, however small or robust those might be, can kind of develop out uh, something that's specific for their context. Um, yeah. And that could be a really helpful use uh, resource and hopefully save people a ton of uh, time. And as you say, kind of the relational energy and, and if we can help save time at the top of that list and they can focus at the bottom, I think that um, that's a huge asset. Yeah. One of the things I've realized with pastors and church planters is that they tend to be the gatekeeper to massive amounts of people, right? And that might be 50. I mean, you, a, a church planter with 40 or 50 people, that's a huge chunk of people that you have uh, relational capital with. So whether it's 40 or 2000, like they are the gatekeeper to a lot of people who are able to be mobilized, especially for one time or short, short term events. And so what pastors don't always have the skill set or don't need to be is that they tend to be generalists. And then what they need is really trusted experts in specific areas. So if they're picking a population, like we want to help provide meals to public school kids in our neighborhood, um, then they really, then uh, where I see a lot of things get stuck is, is, is the church try the church leadership trying to organize and implement it. Um, when a lot of times what you need is to really just have a good relationship with a trusted expert to say, here's where I need bodies. Here's the protocol. Here's the way to stay safe. Here's what we need. Here's what we don't need. And you kind of just get people moving. Um, that's what it's worked really, really well in Phoenix. We have a lot of, I think I texted you this yesterday, Brandon, is we have a lot of pastors who just, who are incredible leaders and visionaries who have the humility to trust the leadership of practitioners. And when there's a need for those on the margins have been willing to follow the practitioners. And that, I, I, that, that's what I see works. And what, what I see nationwide that struggles is when pastors are trying to take the lead in that area. And it's just not necessarily their particular skill set or the best use of their own leadership um, because of the role that they play, the unique role they play in the body of Christ. Yeah, that's really great. I, I, I think it's a, a beautiful vision of the different parts of the body serving in their strengths, right? Serving their function. And um, this is one of those um, times I, I talked to Alan Hirsch yesterday who said um, somebody taught him to play chess and said that one of the best ways to learn is to take the queen off the board um, because then it forces you to learn what to do with all the other pieces. <laughs> okay, and, that's um, a great analogy. It is a great analogy. And we've got that uh, coming. It, it should be, that conversation should be available soon, but that you know, for a lot of, um, a lot of churches have been able to play to their strengths for a long time. And this kind of pushes people suddenly well beyond what, um, many pastors or staffs are kind of specially honed to do. Um, but it reminds us that there's like this huge network of people out there who deal with these kinds of crisis situations all the time. Right. And so connecting with them, uh, and, and then mobilizing our folks, um, to that end is a really, it's a great opportunity. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that uh, very much. Um, I'm curious for you, like best case scenario, as you think about now and you think about the near future, um, what do you think we can learn from all this that is not just crisis response, but it's maybe, you know, ideally if something were to change in our churches as a result of our 
adjusting, you know, to the kind of current crisis, and then we just keep it with us as an impulse. What, what would that be in your mind? What best case scenario? What changes for good um, for churches? Maybe here I'll answer in a couple of ways. One is I do think that there's an, an element of to be prepared to respond well when there is crisis and pain is a lifetime of discipleship. You don't just wake up and all of a sudden know how to suffer well with Jesus and, and in a way that's sacrificial. So I would think that that, that, that is something that um, just the desire for being a people who um, move towards those who are suffering, who are sick on the margins, like those are, that's a, that's a everyday need. Then there's an acute need right now that requires particular sacrifice and um, and a particular willingness to spend energy that we that it wouldn't be healthy for us to spend permanently, right? right, right um, yeah. So I think I think there's a sense of of just ongoing training so that when we have these moments, we're prepared um, to to handle them with great love and wisdom and thoughtfulness and. Um, that, that, that really we are, that Christians are the, the people that the city leaders are calling to get advice and wisdom to know what to do. So that would, that would be one. Um, I, you know, I think there's, there's going to be, um, a lot of conversations to come in terms of how, I mean, I just think there's going to be a huge financial implication here. Um, not even, I mean, yes, for churches, but really for, for our, for our, our communities, um, at the very least, best case scenario for the next coming months to year. Um, so I think just really thinking through um, how are we, what sacrifices are we willing to make for one another? What does it look like to live in the present and not have a lot, of, not base a lot of our decisions off of the, off of um, trying to be prepared for the future um, individually and really like. So I'm I'm just kind of praying for more communal a communal response so that there would be a deep connection to people, local churches, um, and that there would be kind of this, this willingness to, um, engage their gifts, their, their resources. Um, and I think it's also going to be a pruning time. I think that, that when you have had a long season of not suffering, um, that, that, that there's a many aspects of our faith that are very consumeristic and, um, and those things kind of get get burned away in seasons like this. And so I think, yeah, I, I think I think this, I, you know, I don't particularly like using the word, I, I have used it already, you know, opportunity or, you know, you're seeing Christians on Facebook say like, oh, God's going to use this. It's like, yeah, yeah like, of course. <laughs> but it's like, I just, you know, I'm not like sitting around with my friends who don't follow Jesus and be like, don't worry guys, like God's doing this for the good of America. It's like, right, I just, yeah. I just think it's, it's, um, it's a, you know, there's a lot to learn from the global church in terms of living and suffering. Um, we are in a time of difficulty and it's going to, and it's going to continue, but you know, I would say middle-class families are going to be affected. Um, but of course those in the margins are going to be most severely affected. And so my hope is that even those of us who are middle-class who are going to be impacted that that we would not fear and would move towards would would move towards the most vulnerable in ways that don't make any sense apart from Jesus and the kingdom and um, that we would still live sacrificially we would really be become known as a church who shows up and is for those on the margins and um, that that would be my prayer uh, that that would happen with with a portion of our church in the US yeah that's great
before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't talked about or haven't that I haven't asked that you want to leave people with um, uh, as we kind of go back out to figure out what to do in our local uh, churches and places? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, that this is, I mean, probably my, my closing thought would be that there is so much, I, I would be tuned in to some of the work that you guys have been publishing. Uh, I think I saw it from you. Um, just from like the church in China and, mm -hmm. you know, some Italian pastors and that, that this is not, we're, 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 we're not the big, the big sister in this story. We're coming in, you know, maybe third or fourth. And so we can kind of look up to uh, those who, who, who've been doing this a couple months ahead of us and yeah. get wisdom and insight and, um, and be thoughtful and, and, and then, you know, just, I just think our intentionality in this time is really important. So however we can really be thoughtful in terms of guarding our time um, to be really anchored and rooted in the word of God and the love of Christ and the spirit so that we have, you know, strong and wide arms to reach out into the world. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great, uh, a great place to stop. And all, all I'll add is that we will try to point folks to the resources that you mentioned. Some of those had to do even not with the most, not with uh, coronavirus specifically, but even with things like um, ministering in Hong Kong or Beirut or other places amidst uh, like recent protests and political upheaval. And even our friends in China who um, for about the last year have been under increased scrutiny from the government and so have had to figure out new ways of meeting and um, engaging their neighbors and things. And so uh, some of the responses from now and some of it's just in general, they've been uh, a lot of the uh, Christians in a lot of the world have been dealing with um, adversity at, yeah. at a much higher level than we do or will. And um, I th I'm grateful for any opportunity to point people to look Absolutely. at that example and follow it. So thank you so much for the time. Uh, yeah, thanks. Great to talk thank with you. Thank you. You as well.